Welcome to the Property Development Book Club podcast. Please be advised that panel members are expressing their own views and opinions, which should not be construed as advice. The audience must carry out their own research and consult an appointed professional for advice. Hi guys, welcome to this episode of the Property Development Book Club podcast. Today we are talking about public engagement and I'm joined by a fabulous panel of mixed um, de- uh, property specialists. Uh, so I'm going to introduce myself first and I'll go around and ask everyone to just say a little bit about what they do. My name's Hannah Afolabi, I'm a development director and founder of Black Women in Real Estate. Abe, over to you. Uh, I'm Abraham Laker, I'm a senior social director, uh, as a planning consultant, over 10 years experience, I'm a chartered planner, um, worked on a number of developments across London and the South East. Um, and I also uh, am part of uh, Bain Planners Network, which is a group uh, trying to champion diversity and inclusivity for Bain backgrounds uh, in planning. Hi, I'm Amandeep Kalra. I'm an architect and urban designer. I'm currently an associate at Be First, involved in a lot of engagement, public consultation and co-design. Hi everyone, I'm Sean Adams. I'm a writer, training architect and um, I also run a social enterprise called Poor Collective, which stands for Power Out of Restriction, and essentially we work with young people um, to give them opportunities to feel as if they have a stake in their local environment. Hi everyone, I'm Nyemu Nembe Hongis, I'm a part one architect um, and planner. Um, I currently work as a regeneration manager in Lambeth, doing planning consultancy work across London. Hello everyone, I'm Adewale, I'm a Senior Development Manager, Charter Planning and Development Surveyor. I'm also a member of the Property Development Book and I'm also Director slash Founder of A Lake, sponsoring this podcast in this season. So thank you. Thank you guys, thanks for the great introductions. So today we're talking about public consultation and how we engage the how we engage the public better through the development process. So I'm going to start by asking what is public engagement and what is public consultation? So Abe, over to you first. So um, from a planning point of view, um, public engagement is obviously um, consulting uh, the public uh, with regard to future of new developments within their area. So developers would normally undertake a few rounds of public consultation to get their views, understand the local area, and with those views, see how that can influence their design. So if there's issues of antisocial behavior, or there's an issue of, say, um, an impact on the local highway network, the development may be able to then in, um, improve that through the site being developed. Um, public consultation you know, is a requirement, um, and it's lo- lots of local authorities want you to do public consultation because you get to tease out all these small issues um, that you would not know if you didn't actually consult the public. Um, it is a, when done correctly, produces some very, very good placemaking uh, areas within um, local areas, which means that the local community can thrive. When done badly, well, we're not going to get into that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what we are, we'll come back to that. Sean, what do you think it um, is? For, from the kind of public engagement, 
kind of workshops and um, sessions that I've been to, it like it well supposedly meant to be an opportunity where the the kind of designers get to showcase their design to the local community and speak a little bit about the work that they're doing. But often when I've gone to these public um, consultations, I'm not seeing many young people. It's, it's, it's usually people that are um, quite quite elderly or people that have already kind of seen a development and aren't happy with that development and then feel as if they now need to go and say something um, and be present because quite a few of the kind of public engagement sessions I've been to, I've seen people kind of stand up and be like, we don't want that. And like people being quite like <laughs> aggressive to the architects because it's like a lot of the time it feels like it's something that um, people in the built environment kind of do and because it's kind of something that they feel as if they're obliged to do, they try and just kind of do it and not really want people to have much of a of an opinion so i don't know it, it sometimes i've seen it um done well but a lot of the times i feel like some of the architects some of the kind of built environment practitioners can be quite nefarious in these um, public <laughs> in engagements Ho hopefully that's not too no political. i mean no i think that's i think that's a good segue to say then like why do why why do us as the built environment specialists go into these public consultations and just kind of like, like try and slyly engage the public as well as instead of just doing it head on and like doing true public engagement based on what Sean's. I'm just coming off what Sean's saying. Go on, go on. I just got just one point. I mean, the, the point I was saying, you see a lot of young people there. That can segue into another amount of questions in terms of are they actually really involved in what's happening? Do they actually understand, you know, how their, their local area is being shaped? Do they actually care? That's another issue because sometimes you get a leaflet through your door, you may not have the time to attend a public consultation, you may not, you're just going to get going, oh, put it in the bin and not worry about it, and the next minute you've got developments come up next to you, and then you, you think, okay, now I want to sort of start voicing my opinion, but it's too late. Um, I think that um, he is right. There is a lot of people who have a lot of time on their hands that attend public consultation and you see the same faces at the yeah. same public consultations yeah. um, but my view is I mean, it's very important to, for everyone to be involved in public consultation when when done correctly a lot of um, you know a lot of, sort of developers really you know go out of their way to host a number of events you know to have to be able to you know get a wider view of people uh, from the local area they have you know social media set up their website set up so yeah I think but are, are developers doing it as a tick tick boxing like tick boxing exercise That's, or yeah. I, I, I've got an opinion yeah go on so in, in, in terms of public engagement the company that myself and Amadee work for I believe they provide the best genuine form of consultation in my opinion so as an example we will consult with people from Reba stage zero all the way through to Reba stage three four and we'll just keep that going now um, it is not in a lot of developers' interest, in their opinion, to start consulting early. Because, as an example, development, there's no... I think we had that discussion around private sectors involved in profits, where we've got a social element working in the public sector. I found that that difference between the two entities has a very big impact on how people feel the need to involve people in that process. But... Okay, but how many people, what type of people, and to Sean's point, yeah. actually come out to those consultations? So, as an example, we did one, and it's, it's called the Gasquare Neighbourhoods, yeah? Sean was, I believe you were involved in part of it, and I believe we had, 
I was the one that wrote the statement of community involvement. <laughs> it's very long. Can you say what a statement of community involvement is? A statement of community involvement is if you've got a development and you carry out consultation on the designs, you have to produce a statement of community involvement which sets out your consultation responses, shows how you've analysed it and shows how you've responded to feedback from the community. And I believe you have to do it as part of the Localism Act 2011 for major developments. If you're a very good developer, it doesn't matter if you're small or large, mm. meaning one to nine units is considered small or minor application, nine plus is large. A good developer should be doing it irrespective of the size of the development. So on that particular development that we worked on, we got at least like 150, 160 responses, very active. We had a residence forum, which Amadeep's very much a, a part of it, as well as um, we went as far as um, you went to speak to the local secondary school on a few occasions. So I feel that the public sector, they have a very strong interest in engaging in the community. Private developers do, but not as much as the public sector. So on that though, of the 160 people mm -hmm. that engaged, how many people actually lived on the estate? <laughs> the majority. So, no, no, as in how many people live in total on the estate? On the estate, at the moment, I'm not, I don't, we don't like to use the word estate. Okay, uh, sorry. Neighbourhood. Oh, the, the neighbourhood, <laughs> the community. How many people work yeah, in that community? So, in that community, I would say 100% of the people lived within that community. No, but what's the percentage of the 160 to the people who lived in the area? So, the Gascon neighbourhood is, I can't, well, how do I put it? There is, how many people would you say is in Gasquet? Probably that, like, I don't know. Uh, well, it's I a massive, it's a, it's a probably big Probably between over a thousand to two thousand at the moment. So we're so getting we about a ten percent. Or one percent. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking about a, a response rate of, uh, well, it's like about ten, let's say ten percent. If it's ten thousand. No, is no, it ten thousand, one thousand, yeah. One, one if ten thousand people, did you say, live there? How much? It's quite. It's a big. It's a big neighborhood. Really large, so you've got one no, percent of. Think, yeah. okay, anyway, we're getting a low yeah. percent of people engaging yeah. in the process as a start. So even for even for like uh, from a local authority, public facing with a, with a social agenda, there are only about there are few people engaging in that process. And so, are we saying that's Good, as in that is that the standard of good. So, so the only like, the only caveat on that is public. Yeah. But yeah. I think there's a bigger process we did, which um, I'd already mentioned about the resident forum, and yeah. this is where the hidden voices that Sean was talking about, yeah. people that normally wouldn't come out to those exactly. events, people that are either busy at work or yeah. don't even understand what the process is, and may have language barriers. That process was a, a six-week process where we worked with the engagement consultancy team to well, first of all build up an accurate picture of who is on the estate, demographic, race, age, religion, etc. Yeah. Then create an application process that was conducive to bringing all of these people on with one-to-one like, -one phone calls with everyone, interviews, can they use internet and all of that, understanding like what they're able to understand and not. That created a smaller group of really engaged people that were not your usual suspect. Okay. When you see these faces, trust me, you will be like, <laughs> Yeah, you will not see. And it's not just racing, it's also um, kind of younger people, yeah. different people work, like really young professionals as well that you often don't see. Mm -hmm. And what that meant was the conversations we were having with that group were not your typical conversations about, I don't want development in my backyard. It was actually like, 
Uh, and there is some of that. It's not that we just were drawing out the people that were positive. There was people yeah. giving really good ideas. And that, that's it, isn't it? I think when people are so disenfranchised, they miss the opportunity mm -hmm. yeah. to actually go, I, I want to grab this by the ball and go, yeah. I actually want improvement to my area, to my streets. Mm -hmm. Let me give that feedback, because that's something people can take into account. Development, often or not, I mean, scale, massing may be adjusted, but most cases it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason for it and the process is set out. So I think for us it was like, let's find this a, a much more representative group of this estate and then show them the opportunity. Neighbourhood. Neighbourhood. And then let them kind of start shaping it from, from the outset. I think the, the issue for me with uh, just your basic public consultation process is you kind of collecting responses after you've submitted the planning application and you've done one or two before, but the formal kind of collection is post-planning, mm. there are consultations you have to demonstrate and write the stuff, your community of involvement to say you have gone out yeah. before. Yeah. But realistically, like if you've taken residents on a really long journey, like you said, it's resource intensive. Yeah. And I think yeah. local authorities are willing to put resource into that process because they're not going anywhere. Like we're, Local authorities aren't going anywhere. They're going to be accountable for their actions. And that's, that's just another point. Very good point is the fact that it's resource intensive. It takes time, it takes money. Yeah. Yeah. Developers have very, very strict project programme sometimes. So in terms of obviously putting six, six to say eight weeks worth of consultation in, yes, it's the ideal and you know it works very well. Mm -hmm. And I've been in the same similar situation at the one in one you said where you know this particular developer did a lot of consultation, took a lot of risk out of the planning the next stage in terms mm -hmm. of when it came to get the application being submitted, mm -hmm. the comments we were getting back during that twenty one day period or whatever it was wasn't as bad as we would thought it would have been because of the groundwork you've done yeah. ahead. And also you've addressed a lot of the issues that the residents had or explained very clearly, this is how it's gonna work or this yeah. is how we're doing. So the amount of jargon you've taken out of the issue, the amount of understanding you've replaced that with. So going through the planning process after that became a lot smoother. But yeah, I mean, developers are constrained with time and it's about profit as you've mentioned before in other podcasts. So, you know, how to balance that between getting the outcome they want, which is obviously planning permission or in development, to then, are they willing to take that cost and that resource intensive consultation? That's a very big question to, to manage. Yeah, and I think in, in my experience, that is something that local authorities and private sector haven't been paying enough attention to in terms of the amount of resource, financial, mm -hmm. as well as just people and the, and the types of people um, that actually do that kind of public consultation. So, I, you know, in my, just my view is that local authorities and private sector haven't actually been doing a very good job in general of public engagement. Um, so I'm going to throw that out. No, that's great. I think that her initial point is you guys can starting to see the impacts it's had on our communities I mean at the end of the day we're all people we all live in neighborhoods we all see development that's happening we see what's happening to young people we see the lack of jobs we see unemployment rates soaring we see gentrification and if you talk to the average person on the street they understand gentrification but they don't understand what regeneration is they don't understand what planning is and they don't understand development as a whole so um, for me, I totally agree, it's, in, it's important to engage from 
Reba Stage Zero. That's you need to talk to people before the development has happened. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many cases, a very recent case at Lambeth where we had a big development um, um, application that went in. Um, the developer did not engage with the community until the very end and it has been called in. Um, so that's kind of the repercussion and that was really a lot to do with the public saying, no, this is not gonna happen in, in our neighborhood. So for me, I've led on um, quite a few public um, consultation exercises, but the one that I'm most proud of is one that I'm working on in Brixton. Brixton is a place that I love. I'm South, South London girl. And it was, when I was given the opportunity to work on this scheme, which is uh, Pop Brixton um, and another site, two council-owned sites, but, you know, Pop Brixton has brought so much when it comes to bringing, changing the face of, of Brixton and the, the people that come to Brixton, you know, there's different views about the, that actual site and some people love it and local people don't love it. Yeah. Um, so when it came to looking at how we redevelop the site, there was some people saying, oh, let's have another pop Brixton, let's make it bigger, better. And then you've got the other part of the local community saying, no, we hate it, we don't feel a part of it, it's expensive, there's nothing here for us. So then we had to think about, okay, how do we engage with the people that aren't traditionally coming and talking in these debates and um, in these policy-making decisions, and who are these people? And these people are, in this particular area, were black men, um, are, I'm not going to use BAME, um, but are black and brown communities and young people. And so we thought, what are we gonna do to address this situation? Um, And we decided to have focused engagement for young people, because we knew that those young people were the ones who would benefit most from this particular development. It was creating new jobs. Um, We were having initiatives for young people in terms of um, apprenticeship, training opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And it was about thinking creatively about how do we engage with young people and I actually reached out to Sean, unfortunately he's you know, super busy, <laughs> I demand. Um, but we basically designed this brief and it was about how do we engage with young people when we are the council, they are the developers, we're not cool, they, they, you know, what are they going to see in us and it was about okay, let's try and find an organization that gets young people. So that's why we were trying to reach out to Sean. Um, And how can they immerse themselves in what young people do? Um, Long story short, we got these amazing consultants who engaged with 11 young people from Brixton, and it was about capacity building and teach, you know, showing them what is development and how, you know, giving them that confidence so that they don't feel intimidated when a developer comes into a room and says, Right, we got these plans, and they're going, uh, uh, you know, what scale, what's height, what's materials, what does that all mean? And that they can talk confidently about placemaking and what is public realm. It was just those little terms, that terminology. And then we also thought about how do we engage better with our black and brown communities, who again, a lot of them have maybe two, three jobs. They don't have the time to be coming to public consultation exercises. Um, and so we thought about let's go out into the community and that's something that again I think private sector, public sector were a bit scared of doing. We don't want to go and speak to our people 
um, whether they're black, black, brown, white, you know, uh, there, there are people on this panel who disagree with you. We'll come back to that. We'll come back inclusive engagement mm -hmm. with everyone and when we see that there's the hardest to reach groups that we're not engaging with we need to go out there and proactively go into those communities and start talking to them and not be scared to talk to them so okay so there's you Sorry, said, no no that was good because <laughs> no, there's, a, there's a few things that you've you've raised that i want to try and pull out I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the positive and then we'll come back to <laughs> to the disagreeers and the naysayers to what you said. So on the on the teaching youth about about um, about the process about architecture about the built environment, Sean, with your work, how much how much education is there required initially before the young people can actually actively um, contribute or give feedback? On, on schemes or public consultation? I think the first thing we kind of have to understand is that there's a lot of jargon, there's a lot of technical mm. words that can be, um, that can really stop young people from engaging in the conversation. Mm. And when you're hearing words like planning, section 106, <laughs> like sill payment, when you're hearing all of these words, development, e even down to words like regeneration, it seems like a, a phrase that may seem obvious, but when you're saying those to young people that have no clue about developments, that can be that can really stop them from engaging in the conversation, mm -hmm. um, and I think what we try and do is kind of unpack what a lot of the the meanings of these words are and simplify uh, a lot of these terms so young people actually know what is happening. I think even down to kind of understanding what is a development and how why that will impact you because I think a lot of young people will be like oh if you put a tower there like that's not really going to impact me but how it will change their neighbourhood and the time in which it actually takes. Because kind of going back to what Ada Woli was saying about um, Gascoigne, like when, when I was in the school, some of the young people, like when I asked a young person, oh, what would you like to see if you were like making a mural? And one of the young person said, a crane, because that's all they've seen, because the developments take that long, so all they kind of see is cranes growing up. And I think, I think it's, cra it's crazy to think that like a development isn't only about the actual built form is like how will that built form the process of that built form impact the whole the whole mm. area how will it change how will people kind of move in or move out um so for us we're trying to really get young people to understand what it means for this kind of re regeneration or development to happen because it's not just simply the building because even speaking about kind of gentrification um the kind of erasure of culture a lot a lot of the time um young people don't realize that if this massive regeneration scheme or this development happens, like you might be pushed out to like of your community, and I mean you don't have to look like far um, below the river to see a community um, that has been completely wiped out. I mean, I, I won't kind of say much about it, but um, say it, say it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean if, if, you, if you think about when you when you think of South London and you yeah. think about where's the kind of the most where was. 10 years ago, the most thriving kind of Latin community, where is that community now? Um, where is it now? So I think for us, it's really important to, to really like 
kind of democratize the language and allow young people to understand, but also to give them the tools. So like, what is a plan? Mm -hmm. How can I read this drawing? Because when, when you're going to these kind of public consultation, you're seeing all of these drawings and, and if you're not kind of savvy to what you're seeing, it, it, it's very alienating. Like, what is a plan? I don't know what a plan is. What is a section? What, what, what is that? <laughs> and eventually when you've got kind of developers or architects that don't look like you and don't speak like yeah. you, you've got no clue what they're talking about. Yeah. I mean, me as a, as, as like a 15-year-old a guy from South London and I've got someone that is like middle, upper class telling me about a development. I, I don't know what they're talking about. Like, I don't know. Like, I can't even under begin to fathom some of the things that they're saying. Yeah. So I think yeah. for us, it's about giving young people the tools to, to understand what they're saying. Yeah. Because a lot of the time, some of these fancy words might kind of go over people's heads and, and it, it sounds all, all nice. But when yeah. you actually understand what, what some of these developers are doing, you're like, you know what, actually, I don't think that would be a good idea. Because I, I'm a young person. Well, not me, I'm talking about. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Young person be like, I'm a young person. Yeah. I'm the next to inherit the city. So if all these changes are happening, it's going to kind of change my livelihood when I'm older. Yeah. And just to quickly segue, and we'll come back round to it though, through your work, and we were talking about this on another episode about getting or encouraging young people into, into a built environment, profession and property, how many how how often is it that where people finally like kind of clock on to what it is that is being presented to them do they then see opportunities within the property profession and decide to go down the route of architect planner surveyor um i think i think it isn't i would say from my experience it isn't necessarily that they already know okay i want to be a surveyor yeah. or i want to be an architect but being able to understand like drawings or understand like some of the basic policies they like start to understand that there's an opportunity for them to be a built environment professional yeah broadly speaking yeah. so that could be that they might go into planning they might want to to work for the council they might want to be a, a kind of designer yeah. they might want to be an architect um but i think it's kind of hard to pinpoint at such a young age you want to do this yeah. i think it's just opening their horizon because a lot of young people don't even realize that yeah. we can get into planning yeah. um, or you can become an architect or you can work for the council and you can kind of make decisions on the developments. Um, so for, for us, it's really about allowing young people to actually recognize that they have power. Yeah. Like they don't need to be powerless and kind of like these developers and these large organizations hold all the power. They can have their say and by kind of teaching them um, and, and upskilling them and giving them their tools, they can really make a difference. Yeah. So it's all about demystifying the whole mm. process for people. And not, I think like you're focusing on the young, but I think actually more broadly, generally we need to demystify the whole process for people everywhere. Because I wouldn't just say it's people of colour or um, young people who are limited. Um, I think it's anyone who doesn't have the time to actually engage in like researching every word, every ac acronym yeah. we do yeah. use when presenting to people. Okay, so we're going to go back to the contentious point around um, if if we've been doing public consultation well. And so, either one, you had you had strong opinions on this. Hundred <laughs> percent. I've got an opinion, and, and the reason for that is because. Um, like me, I'm a technocrat, so I know the detail behind certain things, and mm -hmm. I, I just want to bring it up. So, firstly, um, just going back to what you mentioned very quickly, um, Sean, about um, the community, when you mentioned the Latin community. One thing I do know is councils give right to return. Yeah, if a person decides not to uptake that for whatever reason, yeah, 
unfortunately, yeah, they will be moved to another location. Okay. And that's a different social okay, policy. Okay, point. okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm, gonna have to, I'm actually going to have to... Wait, wait, <laughs> on this, yeah. I'm yeah. Gonna, on the right to return, and as someone who was whose parents were offered this when we were younger, mm. it's impossible to come back 10 years later. Where are you coming back exactly. to? Yeah. And affordability. Your whole, exactly. Like... I, I think I think generally I think it's a great opportunity to say yeah you can come back but especially when you're doing large scale regeneration especially of like old stock council estates people are are moved to like we moved all the way to Romford from Haggerston I'm not we're not coming back ten years later mm. all of us are grown my parents are trying to downsize like they don't like they're not uh, trying to move back to there. the yeah. options there but the options not actually attainable or accessible no it, but you say that because the reason i'm very particular about it is you know when we look at um the community something's gone wrong and this is why i'm going to go back to why i disagree okay, go on I'll, I'll, this now goes back go to back it. yeah i just there wanted to address public, the, right the public term. sector have something called the public sector equality they've got an equality duty yeah and in that you have to do what they call a equality impact assessment for every decision you make, yeah? Yeah. Give you an example. I had a project in Northwest London and it was used as a market site, yeah? That market site has been empty as a development site for 10 years. Guess why? Do you know why? It's because if we did that development and did not consider the market traders, we are quote unquote discriminating against those market traders. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is, you know, for, for, for us to throw up not for our statements, but for us to make statements to say that we haven't do the public sector have to consult on everything they do because it needs to stand up to public scrutiny. Of course. And for that particular reason, I am confident. I don't know. No, I'm <laughs> what I'm saying this as confidently as possible. The public sector has a duty and to stop JRs, as you mentioned, and all the other things, they have to follow a robust process when it comes to consultation. Uh, so, yes, technically. Technically, that is I've got correct. Two things to say to that. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Property Development Book Club. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. I'm Adewale Ademalake, founder at A Lake, which specializes in property development and development management. We are sponsoring the first season of the Property Development Book Club podcast, which will be out on all platforms soon. Okay, so <laughs> I do want to, okay, so you're saying that there's a robust process that the public sector have to go through to stand up to public scrutiny yes. through the public consultation process. Okay. Who 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 here has a burning desire to reply to Adewale? Go on. So two 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 of them. One about your point about right to return, whether it's for businesses or people. I fully agree with your point, but a lot of people that have grown up in the states, if they're offered the chance to leave for something that's even slightly better, they will take that within a heartbeat. Even if because they don't know what the next what that is, but I know what this is, mm. and kind of signing yourself up for something that you don't know about, not going to happen. And secondly, to your point. Um, uh, raised about like the Latin community in Elephant and Castle. We also have the Latin community in Brick Lane. We also have had um, uh, Nord Cash and Carry in Brixton, and we've also had various markets around London threatened by uh, private development, and have taken. You know, in in the case of uh, Save Latin Village, um, it was a fifteen-year battle against this particular developer. In the end, they won, but it wasn't um, that. It, it was because of. Uh, people coming together and protesting on streets 
and stopping that development happen. And it wasn't because they didn't want anything to happen. Mm. They had written a manifesto of how they as a community would like to stay together mm-hmm. and have development that was conducive to their market to stay there to begin with. So in Elephant and Castle, yes, a lot of traders were all uh, promised to return into the new space. Temporarily, though, while it's being built, they were all dispersed. Mm-hmm. And there is still probably about 30% that haven't got a space yet. But think about all of those collective memories, identities, that energy that was fostered for decades, the value of that, and then kind of going, well, you are offered a place back, you can go there, you can go next to that new fancy coffee shop, but people aren't going to come to X and X's like a hip-hop record store or this fabric shop when it's surrounded by all of this. Mm. That place held a special value in being together in one place that once you've broken that, you can't put it back together yeah. unless that's your intention to begin but with. We know that change yeah, is the only constant thing in anything to do with anything we do as a profession. Yes. Change in, in, in local environments, in groups of people, in everything. It's constantly changing. So my thing is, I'm not in any way advocating that communities get broken up or segments of the community get broken up. But, but I, I am, to my point, I, I am just saying that I believe the public sector do consult with these individuals and for it to go to cabinet yeah and because as an example um and the development i was mentioning mm-hmm. it had to go to cabinet yeah mm-hmm. and that development went around in a cycle for a very long amount for a significant amount of time so i'm just saying where we may say that i believe that we do consult what happens after the consultation yeah. when executive decisions need to be made as to the direction they want a borough or location to go in that's a totally different matter but in terms of the point of consultation I strongly feel that they give people the best opportunity to at least try to engage in that process. But is this consultation done well? Yes, we like local authorities do consult. It's something that even like developers have to do. But are they doing it well? How many people are we actually engaging in the process well? And I think that's the difference, right? It's like we are talking about doing a consultation process and. It, it, it not necessarily tick box, being a tick boxing exercise, but we have such a low percentage of outturn of people who are impacted by the scheme actually giving any feedback. Thank you for listening to the Property Development Book Club podcast. We know you're loving what you're hearing, so don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. What I, what I have done on my projects is change the, the information um, medium. Mm-hmm. Right? This is the big like if a fly is coming from my door, I'm gonna look at the flyer and throw it in the bin. Yeah. Right? If I have the opportunity to see it online, if there's an Instagram about it, mm-hmm. there are things that pop up. Exactly. I can then say actually it's not it's not a commitment of like an hour of my day to go and sit in an yeah. office and or go to this random like community centre and have a conversation yeah. with people. Yeah. And I think that comes back to the point of meaningful engagement mm-hmm. and yeah how we're engaging with people yeah. like and for me i've only started getting involved in consultations because i was like hold on i'm saying we need to be more inclusive we need to see more people women especially are out mm. of those kind of conversations as well disabled people why aren't we seeing them and then i was like okay i'm going to start going to the ones that are happening in my area so i went to one it was online it was so easy to access, number one. Yeah. But then I didn't know about it. I knew about it through another colleague who is a planner. So, like, that's the other thing. How do we, how do we make sure that people know about these exercises and where they're happening? And then the other thought is, why don't we just use, you know, all, everyone's into 3D visual stuff. Yeah. Have these 3D visors, you know, mm. where people actually can almost feel like 
oh, they understand the development instead of like drawings and measurements and mm. height, you know, all of that. that, is, that is, that's yeah. a very good point because I, I'm not sure how much that is involved in terms of the public consultation stage, but I worked on some developments where we worked with architects who have that technology already. So when it comes to them having our little pre-meet with like the chair of the planning committee or whatnot, or we have another pre-application meeting with the, the, the officers, we say, you know what, we can show you the plans. Why don't we just show you how it would feel like? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The free they, 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 they put on the, the VR system, whatever. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, it costs to do a lot yeah. of money to do this, and not all developers have all this mm -hmm. to, their hand, uh, to hand. But the minute you place the officer in the actual development, you can see everything, all, all those issues you thought you had on paper can completely melt away. But I do agree that needs to be maybe scaled up to a public consultation event where the people really need to, you know, see themselves so that you know they'll be affected by it. Um, your point on social media and, you know, sort of the various, um, how do we um, do good engagement? It comes down to your point as well, you know, not enough young people. Mm -hmm. We need to um, use engagement processes that actually hit those people. So older people like a flyer, some of them like a flyer and they yeah. through their post and letters. Some of the, the youth want just, you know, a quick little Instagram, yeah. there you go, click on it, there we go, engage. and we can go and yeah. engage. So we need to get that right. And I think a lot of companies are doing that, but again, it needs to be sort of pushed further. I would also say like to add to why people do and don't, think about the last time you made a point to add effort to say something. Usually it's because you are unhappy with something, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's rare that you're like really happy with something, you're like, I'm gonna go out of my way to tell that. It's just, it's a bit of human nature and we want to stop, we want to stop something, we want to get, because we think it's gonna negatively impact mm -hmm. us. What we need to flip that is when, why do people not go and say something? Well, that, uh, it's going to be probably quite good. I don't need to say anything. Yeah. So they'll, but actually, it's really important to get the positive. Even if you support something, or actually you've got a slight point that it's not saying don't do this, but actually do this in a different way. We've got to recognize people's time and value people's mm -hmm. time. Yeah. A lot of people will give their time to give that feedback, which is please don't do this or stop this, but people that want to do, say something more positive. And an example of that would be when we set up the forum, we knew we were going to be engaging for you know, an hour to two hours of people's time mm -hmm. every two weeks. You can't expect people to be turning up after work, so we paid for that time. And we paid for that time every single session. And actually when people are paid for time, they respect that yeah. the space that they're in is for them to have a productive conversation with you as almost as an equal stakeholder yeah. as opposed to an extractive process about mm -hmm. give me all the stuff that you want to know and we'll try and embed it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's about valuing people's time and if it can't always be done in a monetary way, think of it, think of like what you were saying about going into the community. If people, it's hard for people to get somewhere, how can we go to their businesses, to their shops, catch them on, like catch them at a time that's best for them, not mm -hmm. when's good for us and when's easiest for us yeah. as a team, etc. So, <coughs> sorry, um, I, I just want to quickly try and see if, like, get a gauge people's points on this. But how much are the public just fatigued by consultation? You know, every in in most areas where you have mass mass regeneration and or development, um, Brixton's a good example. Mm -hmm. Elephant Castle's a good example where you have developers doing piecemeal around an area, yeah. you're getting several calls for consultation, several calls for people's time. How much could that be consolidated and or sped up so that people don't feel like, oh, I don't like, like mm -hmm. how I feel yeah. every time I get a letter in the post. 
Like, how do we keep, keep like, how do we keep keeping people engaged? Because there's also like that resource point of, oh, I'm going to go out mm. on this one to and then I'm going to do it again mm. next month and again <coughs> the next month. Mm. At what point do people say, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I've, I've got a view on that. So I think that um, <coughs> I want to say shout out to Urban Sim. Urban yes. Sim by OX and their amazing work. Um, but what, 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 the way that I see things working is, um, firstly, we did a community park, a Phoenix Park, a Meanwhile Youth Park. And we're doing another one, as you know, that you, you're aware of. So when you look at that type of stuff, that engages the community. But you, and, and last week, I took my daughter, Tia, on a walk around the neighbourhood with the Gascoigne Residence Forum. Yeah? And in that walk around, we were just walking around. What do you like about that development? What don't you like? And we were just taking notes of that. So my thing is that, um, you know, public engagement, as we know it, it shouldn't have to be, this is some plans, here's a questionnaire, Crime. Is there crime in your area? Mm. What kind of questions? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've asked that question, so God forgive me for it. But what I'm thinking is, it's more around um, how do you try and get people into an element where they can tell you how they experience yeah. their neighbourhood. Yeah. And if you can get that type of thing going, and, I, and this is why I keep saying I believe, be first of the best at public engagement, in my opinion. In my opinion. Yeah. But, yeah, that element is so good because when you get people in that element, like there was another one we did in Mark's Gate, and me and Archie, one of my team, we just we sat in. It was a fun day. We sat in this tent, and we we're like, we're just gonna speak to people one on one. And we sat down with somebody that lived there with a big plan, and we were like, let's talk about your routine, right? Let's talk about how you go to work. Let's talk about when you come back from work, where you do your shopping. And we and they just pour like people pour. This wasn't even paid. It's just like one on one time. When people are, feel they're being listened to in an environment that's like they know these places in and out, Better than we do, you know, yeah. Resolve Collective created this idea of the, this emotional mapping, which I think is so powerful. This idea of like we see something in plan as designers mm. and as developers, but actually, what's the real plan? Of them? What are the streets people hang out at? What are the people, places people are mm. unsafe at? But it's that element what you mentioned, Adam, where like getting people in their element by making it comfortable. And your point about um, consultation fatigue, which we, I 100% agree with you. <laughs> People are, especially where developers come in and we um, and might be uh, getting planning, sell it on. Somebody else comes in, oh, actually, we need to double the density now. Get it, move on, sell it on. And each time they're like, yeah, this site's gone around the books. <laughs> and I think the way to unpick that is... People, the developers or the team have to recognise that the community has gone through a lot. And by going to them, stop going to them like it's the first time they've been spoken to. Yeah. Be like, look, we know lots has come out your way. This is what's already been collected. Is this like, is these things you've said, are they right now? Because I know you've gone through, and like the state region is a, the biggest example of yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. People are going to be spoken to for 15 years. They might have had kids, jobs change, <laughs> like, you know, married in that time. Yeah. And it's just like, it's still going on. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so like, I think, yeah, I fully agree there is fatigue, but there is ways around it by being proactive. Yeah. Okay, so we're about to wrap up this episode, guys. I feel like we could have gone on for much longer. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll probably do this again in season two. Yes. But in more, more intense conversations, sorry. <clears throat> I, I want to just end with a question. It's a yes or no. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? It's a good no. Um, um, do local authorities actually want public opinion? It's the yes and no. 
yes and no. A, Do you want to come back to me? No, no, you have to. It's a yes and no. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. What do you say? I'm not saying it. You have to wait for the next thing. <laughs> 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 no, no, no. Then the question is, do developers want? Uh, this has been the Property Development Book Club podcast and see you on the next episode.